Welcome to the Super Abundant Life Podcast. I'm your host, Olawumi Brigway. I'm a transformational life coach and the creator of Super Abundant Woman, the premier personal development platform equipping and empowering women to create their best life from the inside out. In the not too distant past, I myself was trapped in an agonizing cycle of failure and shame with my mind constantly dominated by negative emotions. But my life was dramatically transformed beyond my wildest dreams when I began to live by the power and the wisdom of God's word. On the Super Abundant Life podcast, my goal is to help you disengage from limiting and faulty belief systems so that you can think differently, believe differently, and live differently. Thank you for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, this is Olaomi Brigway and welcome to episode 170 of the Super Bonal Life podcast. I hope you're well. I trust you're well by the grace of God. I'm very well over here and looking out my window, I'm recording near my window in my office. There's a beautiful, beautiful skyline ahead of me. So it's actually bright and sunny, which is a wonderful thing. We've had a really long winter. I live in the United Kingdom. We've had a really long winter and I'm looking forward to spring. Spring happens to be one of my favorite seasons of the year. And yes, I'm looking forward to the warmth. I'm looking forward to the brightness, like the sun being out. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to the colors of spring. So yes, I'm doing very well and I trust you are doing very well as well. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. It is a privilege for me to bring you these episodes. Okay, so let me get into what I want to talk about today. Have you ever seen red (laughs) has someone ever said something to you and before you know it you have literally gone from zero to a hundred degrees celsius from cool and calm and collected to like a volcano and you erupt you erupt and you respond in a way that uh, uh, you say all sorts of things. You speak words that later on, when you think about it, you can't even believe that you were the one talking. As it's almost like you're having an out-of-body experience. And you say all these things or you behave in a certain way. Essentially, your emotions take over and take over very quickly. They take you all the way to the point of no return. And you either react by saying words that you shouldn't speak or doing things that you shouldn't do. And then when you've cooled down, when you've calmed down, when you've had a chance to think about what happened, you now begin to regret your actions or your words. You begin to think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. What I want to talk about today is emotional self-regulation. This is something that every human being will at one point or the other, if not all of our lives, have to work on because emotions have a way of driving our actions, our thoughts, our behaviors, right? Emotions are responsible for (laughs) 
almost literally 100% of the things that we do for good or for bad. And if there's a human being that doesn't know to a certain degree how to regulate their emotions, they're going to be at the mercy of whatever that emotion is driving them to do. And that is not always good. So I started off with the example of anger, but anger is just one type of emotion. There's a whole range of emotions. So for example, it is emotions that will cause someone to say, oh, I know that I shouldn't have that food or that treat. I see it and I know that I had a plan. I shouldn't eat that food or drink that much alcohol. And the emotion says, no, you can, you should, you should, you should. And they give in. And then at the end, once they maybe wake up the next morning and they have a huge hangover, they begin to regret their actions and they wish they hadn't done what they did. Do you see what I mean? So I'm not just talking about anger. I'm talking about whatever emotions drive you to take decisions, to make choices, to speak words, or to take actions that you later on regret. Okay. That's what I want to talk about today. And there is a formula for emotional self-regulation. It's a very simple formula. It's simple, but it's not easy to do. It's very difficult to do. In fact, it's one of the hardest things that we will ever have to do as human beings, which is emotional self-regulation. Now, before I go into all the things that I want to share today, I want to tell you how I, first of all, came across this when I first began to work on emotional self-regulation. And I remember I read a verse in the Bible. In fact, it was one word that literally stood out for me and I just couldn't get past that word. I was a young Christian. In fact, it was the early days of university, I believe. And I had just started actively walking with the Lord at the time after taking a huge break of, <laughs> okay. So I got born again at age 14, I believe it is 30 of secondary school. I think it was age 13, actually 12 or 13, something like that. But I just let it pass. <laughs> so I got born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, but I got home, went back home from boarding school, got born again at boarding school. My parents were not born again. We didn't go to church. There was really nobody around to show me the way of the Lord. So I just sort of fell back into, okay, normal life, just not really walking with the Lord. But at first or Towards the end of the first year of university, I rededicated my life to God. And that was, since then, I have not looked back. Glory to God. Okay. So I remember that it was one of those early days at university. I was reading, just reading the Bible. And I came across the birth of Jesus and the story of how Mary conceived Jesus and so on. And I was reading about Joseph and there was something that I read. And I thought, whoa, this guy was cool because if he had responded emotionally, if he had not done what he did, which I'm going to read from the scriptures in Elizabeth, he would have had a huge impact, huge repercussions, huge ramifications for the birth of Jesus, for the plan of God to save humanity. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, God would have found a way to make it work if he had messed up. But it would have delayed things. God knows what would have happened if this guy had not taken the time to actually regulate his emotions. And for me, it was mind blowing because up until that time, I used to sort of blow my fuse. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit it because of course I'm no longer that person, but I would get angry. And of course, being the last child, that's what th throw tantrums, just literally 
being a bit rude. <laughs> being just rude. My siblings were much older than I. In fact, they not were. My siblings are much older than I am. So I'm the last child, last born. And my immediate older brother is six years older than I am. And on and on and on. But I would be rude. I would call them names. I would disobey my parents. You <laughs> know, that kind of thing. Like as a child growing up, I was just very naughty. I was quite naughty as a child. And, you know, that sort of went on into teenage years where even though I was cool, I was reserved. But I didn't feel like I could really regulate my emotions when it came to maybe when I got angry. Or when it came to food, that's another example where I would feel like, okay, I want to eat something. I want to eat it. It doesn't matter how I feel afterwards. I want to eat it. I'm going to eat it. That not being able to say no to my emotions was really my life at the time. And so when I read this about Joseph, I began to think, whoa, you mean this is possible? You mean you can actually get to the point where between the stimulus and the response, you can actually pause and take a break and reflect on what comes next, that your responses do not have to be automated. It got me thinking, and that was for me the beginning of the journey. And the, another scripture to back that up that used to really scare me. <laughs> I'm like, I, can't, no, I refuse to be this one. It's what the Bible says in Proverbs that it is better to live in the corner of a rooftop than in a mansion with a contentious woman. So that scripture would always be like, me, I don't want to be a contentious woman. I don't want to be someone that if, if you're in the same room with them, you just don't feel comfortable because they can't control their emotions. They're contentious. They're always fighting. Even though I hadn't gotten to that stage, but it was something that I was like, no, I was very mindful that I don't want to be that person. I want to be a peaceful person. So those two scriptures combined got me started on this whole emotional self-regulation path. And I'm going to be sharing with you some of the things that I picked up along the way and practiced that have definitely worked for me. And more recently, some of the things that I've also acquired in terms of wisdom that I'm starting to apply to my life. Because let me tell you this, this thing of emotional self-regulation is a lifelong journey. I don't think you get get to the point where nothing ever phases you, nothing ever pricks you and you're just at one constant cool temperature forever and ever. Maybe monks that have dedicated their lives to just meditating all day and they never ever leave the monastery and everybody around them is calm and they don't, you know, drive along the road and there's somebody that is behaving like they're high or something. Do you understand? If you're in an insulated place or environment where you don't really have the stimulus or the stimuli that will get your temperature high, then fine. But if you live in a regular normal world with people, you will have to learn to regulate your emotions. So let me read that scripture to you. And it's in Matthew. There's just two or three verses that I want to read Matthew chapter one. And the context of this was the angel had showed up to Mary, told her that she would conceive a child. And then she had now conceived that child. Of course, the child is Jesus. So it says in Matthew one says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly, which was 
a very rational thing to do. In fact, the Bible made a point of noting that he was a righteous man because he wanted to do it in private. If he was not a righteous person, if he was a wicked person, ugh, I'm pretty sure one of the reasons why God picked Mary was because of Joseph, not just the genealogy part, because Jesus had to come from the genealogy of David, right? Joseph was not the only person that was around in that time that came from the genealogy of David directly, but for the fact that he was a good person, right? So he wasn't going to do it publicly. He wasn't going to drag her into the marketplace or the center of town and say adulterer so that they'll stone her to death. He wasn't going to do that. He was already going to do it in a very nice and kind and gentle way and sort of break off the engagement in private in order to protect her and the child that she was carrying. But here is what actually stood Joseph out. This, I believe, is the reason why God picked Joseph. This is the reason. So that goes to show that emotional self-regulation go, will go a long way in determining how God can use you in this life. If someone is ruled by their emotions, it will limit the impact that God can have in their lives. And even, let me not even carry it to that big whole God wants to use you destiny purpose kind of thing. Emotional self-regulation is necessary for you to even achieve the little things you say you want to do. Not even the big massive goals of, I want to do this, I want to be this in the future. Forget all that. Emotional self-regulation will say, you get up at a certain time. You drink water when you're supposed to drink water. You sit down and you do that report when you're supposed to do it. All of those things are tied into emotional self-regulation. Now, let me keep reading. This was all strong me about Joseph all those years ago. I'm talking about almost 30 years ago. Now I read this and I'm like, Whoa, this is possible. This is me from today. <laughs> okay. And it says, as he considered this, this is new living translation. Another translation says, as he pondered on this, as he paused, when the news came, the emotions got stirred up. He would have been disappointed. He would have been angry. He would have been sad. All ranges of emotions. He would have felt it. That's why I'm saying that it's not about whether the emotions will rise up or not. It's what you do with them that actually counts. So he felt the full range from pity to anger, to full-blown anger. Do you see? And in the midst of that, there would have been a measure of, I still like this woman or I still love this woman, depending on what his emotions were or feelings were for Mary at the time, right? He felt all of that. He decided what he was going to do, but between the stimulus and the actual response of taking action or saying things, there was a pause. The Bible says that as he considered it, as he pondered on it, and it wasn't a two second pause. It was at least overnight. It was at least one day because when he slept, an angel showed up to him, says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. So minimum of one day, it may have been two days, it may have been a week, but at least now, can you honestly say that you hear news that would raise the temperature of your emotions instantly to that high 
and you actually pause for at least one day to take action. Can you honestly say that? Can you honestly say, to be honest, most of us cannot say that. Most of us, it is instantaneous reaction. In two seconds, you have already told everybody <laughs> that, listen, come and see what this person did. Get out of my business. In fact, you take, give me my engagement ring back. How dare you? Who are you, brother? And all that. In two seconds, a lot of us, a lot of us in two seconds. I'm not talking about something that is just like, oh, let's be warm. Like, mm, okay, I feel a bit uncomfortable with that. Let me think about it. I'm talking about you hearing that your fiance is pregnant with another man's child that kind that kind of catastrophic like mind-blowing news where you can be happy one moment somebody tells you something like that and the next moment you're confused you're dazed you're angry you're upset all of that rolled together zero to 100 in two seconds and you can still take a day to pause and reflect and ponder and consider the matter before responding. Kai, Joseph was a special man, right? And I'm special like him. <laughs> I choose to be special like Joseph. So it's possible is what I'm trying to say. It's possible. And that was one of the most important reasons why God picked him. Why God picked him? God could have picked anybody. But God picked him. So to regulate your emotions is not a, if I can't, it's not a, oh, I was born like that. I was born this way. You are not born this way. You learned it. You learned it and you can definitely unlearn it. So today I'm going to be talking about reaction versus responding. So reacting versus responding. First of all, let's look at what it is to react. Most of us are predisposed to emotional patterns that lead to self-defeating behaviors as i said in my introduction these patterns are ingrained they are long learned they are deeply imprinted and they're automatic they're automatic because your brain has learned over time that this is how we respond to certain stimulus or plural stimuli and in order to minimize the amount of energy that is being used, it makes it automatic. The same way you learn to ride a bike or you learn to drive a car. In the first few weeks, you're still like, where is the gear? Where is the this? Where is the that? Your brain is using tremendous amounts of energy to remember everything, to coordinate everything. But if you keep going, neural pathways are formed and they become thick. Every time you go and you put the car in gear and you do this and you do that and you drive, another layer is added to that neural pathway. So it becomes thicker and thicker and wider and wider until you do it unconsciously. I hope you know you drive unconsciously. All right. You drive unconsciously. If I still happened to me today, I was driving and I blinked and I was 10 minutes down the road. Like I'm like, how did I get here? I was not thinking about my driving. I was thinking about something else. I think I was listening to a podcast or something. I was like really getting to what they were saying. I'm like, mm -hmm, that's deep. That's deep. And then I, I looked again, I'm like, ah, I'm already here, unconscious. So that's what your brain does. Anything you do once, yes, the next time you do, the second time you do, your brain automatically says, 
aha okay it looks like this thing is going to be repeated it's not a one-off thing literally the process that makes it automatic kicks in that's what happens so that whole i'm blowing my tops that whole i can't control my emotions and when i say emotions don't automatically think of anger there's a whole range of emotions sadness is a kind of emotion where someone just feels sad all the time and when they feel sad they make certain decisions they make certain choices say certain things lash out at the people in the environment because they can't stand themselves because they're sad as to where they are in life for example so I'm talking about a whole range. So once something happens once, twice, your brain says, aha, we need to make this automatic. So these emotional patterns, right? They are ingrained. They're deeply imprinted into your soul and they derail. So I'm talking about the negative emotions now. Things like blaming, intimidating people, criticizing, harsh criticism, being irritated, lashing out, doing things you know you should not be doing, making decisions, indulging in appetites that you know are not good for you in the mid to long term, and so on. So reactions are instinctive. You react to a situation on autopilot. Often, now this is important, often with a false sense of urgency. Like when you've blown your tops, when you're when you've gone from zero to hundred and the temperature is high, whatever the emotion is, whether it's depression, whether it's anger, whatever that emotion is, right? Once you are at that heat, high heat temperature, what it would tend to do is it wants to force you to do something like act now, act now, act now. It is your responsibility to be able to say, uh, 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 no, let's cool it down a little bit because if I act at this temperature, I most likely will make the wrong decision or the wrong choice or take the wrong action. Okay. So reactions are done at a high, hot temperature. And as a result of that, they tend to be very emotional, not logical. Logic is thrown out the window. You know, inside you that that thing does not make sense don't do it but you do it anyway why because you're being driven by emotions reactions tend to be aggressive as well as defensive reactions don't take responsibility reaction will look for the nearest person to blame reactions are tense they create a tense atmosphere and of course they are very quick automatic it's an auto response that comes out of the subconscious why because it has been ingrained into your soul by your brain in order to be efficient and reactions almost always if not always disregard the mid to long term consequences so a reaction to an external stimulus or even an internal stimulus to your thought may go something like this, something happens or a thought comes into your head, you panic, then you proceed to do something. Whether that do something is you say something. So you hear that somebody says something about you and you pick up the phone immediately, you dial their number and as soon as they say hello, you're like, you and you rant and you literally lambast them, you give them 50 million pieces of your mind and you slam the phone shop, boom. So you hear, or you see whatever the stimulus is, you panic. Panic means emotions go from a cool temperature to instantly a high, very hot temperature. And then you proceed to do something. Now I want to read through (laughs) 
10, in, just in case you are not convinced that reaction, this way of living is not good. I want to read very, I'm just going to read them out. 10 consequences of living like this. 10 consequences of always responding on reacting. I should say, cause I don't want to use the wrong, wrong word. Responding is a good word. Reacting is a bad word. So always reacting rather than responding very quick very rash that's the word being very rash living life in a really rash manner where there's very little emotional self-regulation i'm going to read out quickly 10 consequences of such a life or lifestyle number one so these emotionally unbridled unbridled means you know like a horse now you bridle a horse so you can pull it back if a horse even if a horse is galloping at i don't know 100 miles per hour i don't know if if that's the speed they go out or more. But if there's a bridle in the horse's mouth, all you have to do is pull it and it will come to a screeching halt instantly. So think of the emotions as that horse. So if it is unbridled, if there's nothing that can call it back and say, hiss, 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 okay, auntie, come back here now. What happens is those kind of reactions not only do not fix the problem, but they end up complicating it. So you can't even think straight. You have not given yourself the opportunity to think straight. So it obscures clear thinking. Number two is you detract from the quality of your action. What does that mean? It means that every time you react and you are rash in your decision making, what that means is you're going to end up lowering the quality of the actions that you give in that situation, the quality of your actions. So let's take Joseph, for example, even though Joseph was not even that rash, he still thought about to say, okay, I'm a good person. So I'm going to put her away privately. I'm going to sort of break off the engagement quietly. If he had not pondered the highest quality of action he could have taken in that situation was to marry Mary. Because that was what God wanted him to do. That was what put his name on the map. That is why today we're still talking about Joseph and he's an honorable man. That was the highest quality of action he could have taken. But if he had not paused, what would have happened? He would have done what came to him at the instance that he got the news. And that would have been a low quality action. Number three is you will emotionally disrupt the people around you who you are actually relying on to do something about it. So you create a disruptive environment. Why? Because you have gone. Wah. Yeah. You've literally blown your top. You have reacted in a way that disrupts your environment. It affects people. You don't live in a bubble because you don't live in a bubble. Whatever action, decision, choice, words you speak will affect the people around you. And because it's a negative, low quality reaction, as opposed to a high quality response, it's going to affect the people that you actually need to rely on to help you get to wherever it is you're going to. Let's take a couple, for example, the wife comes home and begins to rant and rant and rant. Say, you are not doing this. I want you to do this. And you're trying to get that reaction to cause your husband to do certain things, to make certain changes. But because the reaction is low quality, it affects the husband negatively. And the thing you even want him to do, is literally moving further away, the more you rant from what you want him to do. Number four, 
and the third one leads to the fourth one over time you will create a toxic environment where people feel unsafe people will feel unsafe number five you are solidifying a habit that doesn't serve you remember I talked about how every time you respond that way, another thread is woven into that neural pathway. That neural pathway is becoming stronger and stronger every time you give in to that reaction at that high temperature. Okay. Number six, you're creating the impression that people will have of you that you are unpredictable and unreliable. Because before somebody says A, you have said Z. Before somebody does B, you have done Z. Before anyone even hints at something that you don't agree with, you have blown your top. People will not be able to predict that, okay, let's see how this person will respond to this situation. And they will be able to trust you to think about it clearly in an objective way. No, they won't be able to do that. And this one is particularly important in the workplace. These are some of the reasons why people don't get promoted because every time you disagree with anything, instead of rationally presenting your points in a way that each person can understand and see your point of view, you do it with anger. You do it with irritation. Like these people are just so stupid. Like they're not at your level of intelligence. Like you talk down to people like they're just stupid. And these are in fact your superiors or not just people that are your colleagues or your peers or people that report to you. Okay. You bundle everybody together and you talk down to them. Like you're the only one that is wise. You're the only one that is intelligent. Everybody else is stupid. So why would they promote somebody like that? Because they'll say this one is not level-headed. You invite this one to board meeting with all the directors. It's going to go and disgrace us there. So nope, just keep him at that desktop. Number seven is you are prone to making mistakes. Of course, you're prone to making mistakes because you haven't given yourself time to think about it. You're prone to regretting your words, your actions, your choices, your decisions when you're someone that reacts rather than respond. You rarely regret deliberately responding to a situation, but you often regret automatically reacting to one. So you have to pick one. Number eight, you agree to or you turn down opportunities without giving them the time and the thought they deserve. So if you're someone that you get excited, remember it's a range of emotions. I'm not just talking about anger. So excitement is an emotion. Someone calls you up and they say, well, we have this opportunity for you. And like, wow, wow. You mean, whoa, oh me, I've been wanting this thing. And you immediately, you get so excited that you immediately say yes. You don't even take two minutes to think about it. You don't even ask questions to say, okay, so tell me more about this opportunity because this is not everything that looks good. That is good. It might be a similar opportunity that will be a better fit for you, but not this one. You say yes because you get excited and you say yes. And then later on, you begin to regret it. Like, why did I say yes? Why did I say, why did I take this job? Why did I agree to go to this place with this person and so on. Y'all begin to curse the person in your heart. When if you had taken five minutes, 10 minutes, I said, let me call you back and thought about it. You could have very easily explained to them why you can't go with them. And of course, the flip side of that is you turn down opportunities that you should say yes to because of emotions. So the person that's offering it, you're like, what's this one? See the way this person talked to me. I just don't like it. And you allow 
emotions push you to make a decision that is contrary to what you should actually be doing. So it's both ways. Number nine, because your reaction is spontaneous, you don't necessarily reflect the depth of your capabilities. For example, you are in a meeting and something pops into your head and you immediately say, this is how we should do it. Or there's a problem that people want to solve and you immediately say something. Meanwhile, you haven't really thought about it. The emotion just says, ah, say something, say something, say something, because if you allow that other person to say it, they might steal the opportunity from you. That's an emotion that is driving you, causing you to panic and then do something. And then you present a how big idea that even you say, after you finish talking and you hear yourself speak, you're like, hey, what kind of idea is this one? What did I just say out of my mouth? So because there was no thought behind it, you could end up actually not digging into your true capabilities. And if it is someone that keeps going around doing that, people will think the person is not very intelligent. It's not that they're not intelligent. It's just that they don't think deeply enough before they actually speak or they act or any of those things. And of course, number 10, this is probably the most impactful one is that relationships often get severed or damaged, especially at the extreme level. So if it's someone that is given to extreme reactions, they destroy their relationships, whether it is romantic relationships, whether it's relationship with their children or family or colleagues in the workplace, all those kind of things, right? If you see someone that does not have friends, you have to check, right? You have to check how they react. And it's not just they're reacting angrily. They get offended easily. That's a reaction. Somebody says something and instead of asking them, what did you really mean by that? And even if the person was being malicious, they they can say, don't do that again. And try and iron things up. But they are easily offended and they cut the person off like that. That's a reaction. You will sever relationships or damage relationships as a result of behaving like that, always reacting as opposed to responding. Now, what does responding look like? Responses are more thoughtful. That's the most important thing. They're not automatic. These are not auto reactions. They are more thoughtful. When you respond, you first of all reflect before you speak or act. Because responses are done at a cooler temperature, they tend to be soothing. They tend to be non-threatening, constructive. They are conscious as opposed to unconscious. So you are deliberate. You know what you are saying and you intended to say it. You know the action you are taking and you intended to take that action. This comes as a result of being self-aware. Those responses tend to be considerate of everyone's well-being. So you have thought about, you have looked at the different angles and say, if I say it this way, how is it going to affect this person? So responses tend to go like this. Something happens, there's a stimulus. You pause or you wait, you process, then you respond. In a nutshell, what is emotional self-regulation? It is the ability to wait. Between the stimulus and the response, there's a pause. It is the ability to wait. And it is not automatic. You train yourself to get there. 
you train yourself together. And what I want to talk about is five different strategies, six actually all together, six strategies that you can literally deploy to begin to regulate your emotions. How do you train yourself to be calmer in your approach to life, to respond versus react? Yes. Number one, most important. I always start with mindset because mindset is where it is. The Bible says in Romans 12, two, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. If you don't start in the mind, you haven't started. So number one is actually believe you can do it. Reject the false narrative that you just can't help yourself. You just can't help blowing your tops. You just can't help getting angry. You just can't help getting frustrated. You just can't help getting impatient. You just can't help giving into those appetites that you know are leading you down a wrong path. If you think that, that's going to be your experience. If you think I'm just an angry person, that is going to continue to be your experience. If you think I just don't have any power against this appetite to eat or to do things that I know are immoral, for example, that is going to be your experience. That's going to be your experience. Whatever you believe as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever a man believes, so are the experiences of his life. It's as simple as that. So you have to believe it's possible. Like I gave an example that when I read in Matthew 1, I saw that Joseph paused for at least one day for something that if somebody had told me that, ah, ah, say, eh, he did what you just want to, the thing rising, you just want to do something. But he calmed himself down, gave himself at least a day, minimum of a day to think about it, to reflect. He was not a rash person. So when you see examples like that, you have to believe it is not them and there's me. Because this is why so many people justify not regulating their emotions. They believe that that's just the way I am. Nobody was created like that. Personality is different from emotions. Certain personalities will mean you may be more outgoing. You may have certain tendencies. But it doesn't mean that you should not be able to regulate your emotions. Do you see what I mean? So the first step is you must believe that there's a space that that space exists between the stimulus and the response that it doesn't always have to go from zero to hundred in two seconds, that there's a space. If you don't believe that there's a space, none of the strategies that I'm going to talk about after this will work because you keep believing like, do you know what? It's them. If only they will not irritate me. If only they would not anger me. If only they will not be so stupid in the way they are behaving. If only they will not put that food there. If only they will not invite me to the pub after work, I wouldn't drink. If only this, if only that, and you are putting it on other people or circumstances. No, it is your right and your privilege to control your emotions, to regulate your emotions. So you must believe it's possible. You must believe that this is who you were created to be. Not someone that is 
pulled left and right from one end, one extreme to the other by their emotions, driven by their emotions. No, we were not created for that. You have to believe that it's possible for you not to react to your husband doing something you don't like. That, did I just touch a nerve? Some people don't believe that too. They'll be like, if only this man would just stop being so like this. If only this man, if only these children, I will stop shouting when they stop behaving like this. Not true. And you're teaching your children to become like that. And you're driving your husband and creating a gulf between the two of you if you keep behaving like that, or wife. Do you understand? You have the power within you to create or no, no, not create. The pause is already there. It is to honor it, to acknowledge it, and to embrace it. That there's a pause, there's a gap between stimulus and response. Do you see that? So believe it, believe it. Don't excuse it away. Don't say that's how I am. It's not true. It's not true. That behavior, that mindset is feeding that behavior. So renew your mind. I say, no, yes, I know that's where I am now. But this is what I'm meant to be. This is who God created me to be. And I'm going to strive. I'm going to keep working towards attaining it. Okay. Number two, once you realize and you accept that, ah, okay, I want to regulate my emotions. It is possible. Now I'm going to share with you the next five strategies that will actually help you do that. Once the stimulus comes, because remember, <laughs> for a lot of us, these neural pathways, they are as thick as anything. They are so ingrained that it is not going to happen in a second. It's not even going to happen in a day or even a month. You can begin to see changes probably around the six-week mark if you are diligent with it. Okay? If you are diligent with it. But you must do it because of the consequences. You must push until you get to the other side. Okay. So when that stimulus comes, what you can immediately do is use your words to help you acknowledge and embrace that pause because there's a pause. There's a space between stimulus and response. For many of us, what has happened is that space has closed to the point that is less than a millisecond stimulus reacts, stimulus reacts, and there's no space, but there is a space. It's just being closed and narrowed down. So what you want to do is to shift and create and make sure you expand that space to the point where it is reasonable, where it is reasonable. So how can you do that? When the stimulus comes, you come home and you had painstakingly tidied the house before you went out. And then you come and the whole place is upside down. They have scattered it. You walk into your kitchen. There's pots and pans there's stuff that spilled over the floor there's food on the floor everything is just upside down all the cupboard doors are open <laughs> ha you see red in fact you may have just come back from something that you enjoy maybe an afternoon with your friends or you went shopping or whatever and you came home and you're like oh i'm really happy i had a wonderful time and then you open the door and this is the sight that meets you and you go from zero to 100 and literally you see red. That's the stimulus is the coming through the gate. So your eye gate, your ear gate, your senses, basically the five senses. That's how the stimulus comes. So what can you do? 
right? Number two, first of all, is believe you can. Number two is use your words. Say things to yourself like, let's think this through for a little bit. You can say things like, calm down, calm down. Okay. Just hold on. Just calm down. Literally, you can use your words. If it's something that is pushing you to make a decision, like act now, act now, act now, act now. You can say, is this really the best thing to say right now or to do right now? What would my best self do or say right now? Use your words because when you start speaking, you interrupt that automatic response. Do you understand? You interrupt it. An example is this. Let me use this metaphor. You step into a lift or an elevator. You step into a lift and what happens is automatically the doors of the lift start to close. But if you want to interrupt that process, you can maybe put your hand in and what happens? The doors start to recline back. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So if you use your words, words are powerful. Words will interrupt. If you're thinking something, you see it and you see red and you're thinking, what kind of thing is this? After going out, after spending all this time, all this is going on in your head. All those thoughts are raging. How do you interrupt those thoughts? Speak, say something, say, calm down, call your name, say, calm down, allow me, calm down, allow me find out what happened first. When you say those things, even though you may think it might be the same old story where they just have messed up the house and they didn't tidy it up. That may be the story. But by saying, find out what happened first. Guess what that happens? The doors of the lift recline. They go back. It gives you time to rein your emotions and to go from that really high temperature, high heat to something warmer. So that you don't go and by the time you finish shouting at your children and saying all kinds of words. That can damage their identity. Do you see? So speak. Use your words to interrupt that automated reaction. Use your words. That's the first one. Number three. Number three is put the situation in context. Put it in context. So the automatic thing you do if you want to actually give yourself more time to even put it in context is use your words. Use your words. Say, no, I know this, what this person said. How dare they say this? You're thinking that you can't say, no, calm down, calm down. Let's think this through. Let's think this through. Let's literally use your words to lower your temperature. Then, like I said, is put things in context. Because when you pause, when you reflect, you put things in context. So Joseph would have put things in context like, hold on, no, Mary's not like that too. Mary's not like that. Mary is devoted to God. She would not do that kind of thing. And he will introduce this new side that, uh-uh, can she really go and do that? Even if truly, truly, and at that point, before the angel showed up to him, he really thought he was a human being. He was a man. Maybe she was raped, right? Or maybe somebody took advantage of her. So you begin to put it in context. You would have automatically responded to that email. That one's a really, (laughs) it's a really popular one. You fired back the email to that colleague and you've copied everybody in. How about context? How about pausing to think? Why would they say that? Or even if the person is like that, you put it into context that what is driving this, that behavior. If they're the kind of person that they're so pushy, they're so driven, they will climb over everybody, throw whoever under the bus 
to what you have to put in context say what is really driving them what are they afraid of why are they behaving this way all of those things will put things in context so you must put the situation in context consider other perspectives other perspectives especially in situations where you feel like but i've been saying this thing i've been saying this why won't you do it Put yourself in their shoes. Maybe they don't know how to do it. Maybe they don't understand how to do it. Maybe they don't have the strength to do it. It comes easy to you. So you say, why can't this man tidy up after himself? You are very tidy. It comes easy to you. You were probably trained as a child. Unfortunately, they only trained the women back then, not necessarily the boys or the girls, I should say, not necessarily the boys. They just let the boys and say, oh, the man of the house. But the girl, they will train the girl and make sure the girl knows how to tidy up after herself, how to cook, how to take care of children. But the guy will be playing football. So you have to put all those things in context. In perspective, he was never trained to be like that. So it's more difficult for him. It's like to literally pick up the socks. It's like climbing a mountain. You are like, what's so hard about that? Just pick up the socks and put it in the basket. It's because all your life, you have been trained to be like that. This is new to him. Context. Number four, and this one is really important. All of this is happening. Remember, you use your words to interrupt that automated reaction in order to give yourself a little bit of space. If you don't even take the pause in the first place, none of this is going to work, right? So the first two strategies help you acknowledge and take that pause. How you believe that there's a space there somewhere. The space may have almost been close to zero, but there's a space there. You believe that it's possible for me to calm down before I respond. Yeah. And number two, when the stimulus comes, immediately use your words to lower the heat. And then, of course, once you now create that space, you give yourself time instead of going to shout at the children when you come back and the whole house upside down and even you shout at your husband too, you may go up to the bedroom and say, I'm just going to give myself a, they want to talk to you. They want to greet you. Hello, hello, everyone. Okay, just, I'm coming. Just give me 30 minutes. <laughs> say nothing. Give say hello and then go up to your room and lock the door. Say 30 minutes. 30 minutes. And if you have open lines of communication, for example, with your spouse, when he sees that, you'll be like, ah, she needs space, leave her. Because some people are not self-aware. That's when they'll now come and you know be saying, Hey, I want to talk now. And I think women are more prone to that. The man comes home and you can see that things are a little bit off, and he says, and he goes and just needs. 30 minutes or an hour. He said, no, come and talk about it now. No, come and That's not being self-aware. You have to give the person space. And then you push and push. And then he lashes out and he shouts at you. And he says, why are you shouting at me? <laughs> Can the thing without explode? He just needed 30 minutes. Give him the 30 minutes to calm down first or to process. When he's ready, he'll come and talk to you kind of thing. So take that pause. When you take that pause, first one I said was put the situation in the context think about the different perspectives. The second one, which is number four strategy is carefully consider the possible outcomes desired and undesired. If I go down now and I shout and I rake for everybody, what's going to be the outcome of that? What kind of atmosphere am I going to create in my home? If I send this email now, click send and it goes in the, when I calm down and I read this email, would I regret it? 
what impression is it going to create of me in that person's eyes or in the wider community? So carefully consider the outcomes, what this might lead to, positive or negative. You ask yourself questions like, if I say this or do this, what might it lead to? What else might come out of this? So you might think, oh, if I just shout, at least they'll just immediately go and tidy up the kitchen and clean up the house. Yes, but what else might that lead to? Are you creating a false identity? Are you damaging the identity of those children by constantly doing that? So it's not just, oh, if I do this, I'm going to get an instant result. What comes after that? So what might that lead to? What are the consequences that are further down the line? Is any action I'm planning to take, is it going to leave us, me and the people that this will affect in a worse place or a better place and so on. Number five strategy. So the third thing to do in that space is actually to write, write your response. Do you know what? Writing is one of the calmest things you can do. Write. Not type. <laughs> so you fire the text back. You fire the email back. I'm saying, right. There's a way that putting pen to paper, writing with your hand calms you down because you have to think about what you're writing. Typing is faster, right? Especially if you know how to touch type. You're not even thinking about it again. And I touch type. I don't even need to look at the keyboard when I'm typing. It's like very fast, but writing, you slow down. You think it's slower. It's slower. You think more about what you're So write it down first, then look at it, read it and say, if I was the person receiving this message or somebody saying this to me, how would I feel? How would I feel? Read it out loud, write it down and read it out loud to yourself. The more you train yourself. So in the beginning, especially if you are the sort of person that is very volatile in terms of your reactions that are driven by emotions, you probably need to do all this in the beginning, like write it down. But the more you are able to regulate your emotions, you may not need to go through all this anymore. It may literally just be, you just say something, say, calm down, calm down. And all you need are two minutes, two minutes. You were going to say it this way, but then you roll it around in your mind and say, oh, if I say it this way and I, okay, no, 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 I'm going to rewrite. Do you understand? So you, it will become easier as what I'm trying to say, but in the beginning, do these things, please. So write it down. Even if it is the very simple example that I gave, you come in the whole house upside down, you go up to your room. For 30, you don't have to say then. You still need to make those children understand that you cannot behave like this. You have to tidy up after yourself. It's a valid lesson that they need to learn. But saying it at that high temperature, you are going to do more than teach them that lesson. You're going to damage something inside them. So the purpose of the pause is to make sure you convey the lesson and remove the sting. So you can write it and say, how will I tell these children? You think about it and you could say, okay, and give a reference point. Give an example. Your response, it has more depth. It has a greater quality because you've thought about it. You think about it and say, okay, how will this student understand what I'm saying? What can they relate to? You can, you know, use a movie character and say, you see how that person, and they'll get a like, oh, you're right, mom. 
And because it's at a cooler or a warmer temperature, they're able to receive the lesson without them feeling like there's something wrong with them, which is what happens when we react at hot temperatures. It has gone beyond what the person may have done wrong. You begin to attack who they are. So they're more likely to absorb it for the longer term. So write a draft and read it out loud to yourself. And of course, the fifth strategy or the sixth strategy, I should say. So the fourth thing you should do during that space is give it as much time as you need before you respond. Don't let anybody put you under pressure, not your emotions or people. Say, oh, the deadline, the deadline, the deadline's coming. Say something, say something, do something. Ha, how dare you let that person talk to you like that? If it was me, how would I reply? Uh, if I'm not you, you do your own. You do you, I'll do me. Take your time. Honestly, that sense of urgency that the heightened emotion is presenting is false. It's a trap. Even for the things like you need to act on, there's a sense of peace. You should move from a place of peace, not from a place of panic. So if you don't have that peace yet, if you don't feel settled yet enough, just say, give me time. I'll come back to you. If they keep emailing you, ask now, say, I will come back to you. If you say, you will lose this opportunity. Let me lose the opportunity. It means it was never my own. If I have to do it from a place of panic or fear, it's not my own. So give yourself as much time as you need. Simple. These things are simple, <laughs> but they're not easy to do. You have to really, really push, be diligent with it. You can go from the person that's always, always blowing the top, that very volatile in terms of their emotions. Anything that the emotion says you should do, you jump on it immediately. You can go from that person to the person that you're calm, in your responses, you think something through. Even if the thing is pinching, I say, say something, do something, eat that one, drink that thing, do, do, do. You're like, let me pause and think about this. And you think, no, this is not going to serve my higher self. This is not for my higher good. So no, I'm not doing it. And you can say, no, I'm not doing it. Or you can say yes to something that you feel like, oh, I'm afraid, you're afraid if I can. No, no, say yes, I can do it. I may be a bit nervous, but I can do it and you go forward and do it rather than just automatically say, Oh no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because you're afraid because you feel like I'm not good enough and all those kinds of things. <clears throat> the strategies are simple, but they're not easy. They're not easy to do. I'm not going to lie. It's probably going to take a lifetime of doing this, but it is well worth it. Becoming someone that is emotionally regulated, responding from a place of cool to warm temperatures it is well worth it the rewards that kind of lifestyle will bring into your life are tremendous and on the flip side of that the consequences and the damage that someone that is volatile always operating from the high heat energy those consequences that come as a result of that they are dangerous they're dire and you can't ignore them after a while they begin to literally tear that person's life apart Okay, so this is Allow Me and I'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. See you then.